On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about the World Health Organization because a number of questions, a lot of questions all of a sudden are being raised about it, about advice that was given that then changed, about its relationship and whether it's too cozy with the authoritarian Chinese government, and now about a report from the Associated Press about the amazing amount of money that has been spent by the WHO on travel and lavish travel. Are these questions warranted? Are these questions fair? Well, we're talking to an MP tonight who is wanting to get some answers about that. We're also going to be chatting about Nick Cordero. You've heard us talk about him on the show. He's an actor from Hamilton, but not everybody, I realize, knows a lot about him because he does Broadway stuff largely, and not everyone here goes to Broadway. That's just life. We're going to talk to a couple people who know him well. He's right now dealing with coronavirus down in Los Angeles. And we'll talk Roy Halliday and the N-Word, which are not connected. Two different stories in the world of sports, but really two different difficult, troubling stories. Bubba O'Neill will join us to talk about that. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. If you've been paying attention, you will have heard that there have been a number of questions raised in the past few days. Well, longer than that, really, but they've grown louder in the past few days about the World Health Organization. Now, we're hearing lots about the WHO because they are the driving force behind many of our health decisions that are being made in this country. But these are not just one or two questions now. There are questions about positions that seem to change, flip-flops. There are positions about their connection to China and whether or not they're protecting some of the stories and rumors and propaganda coming out of China. Yesterday, the Associated Press reported that the World Health Organization spent more on travel last year. Now, ready for this? Sit down for this one. Almost $200 million on travel, spent more on travel than it did fighting AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria combined. And this is not just because they have a lot of people traveling around. The stories that are coming out from the Associated Press are stories of lavish first-class travel and renting presidential suites of hotels while they're in certain places. And the member who apparently spent the most on travel, that would be a Canadian, uh, Dr. Bruce Aylward, who spent close to $400,000 getting around. Now, he was asked to come and speak and testify in front of a commons committee to testify about the WHO's actions, but canceled at the last minute. My next guest has moved to make a motion to have him come on May the 1st and try again. That is MP Matt Jenner, who's the MP for Edmonton Riverbend and the Shadow Minister for Health for the Conservative Party. He joins us now. Mr. Jenneru, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it. Yeah, I no, appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Scott. Uh, you asked Mr. Dr. Aylward to come to this Commons Committee um, to speak, I guess, on behalf of the World Health Organization. What's the response been? Yeah, well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with you know, there, a lot of advice that uh, this government's been taking, and Dr. Town in particular has, has been associated with what the WHO has been recommending. So in, in terms of the scope of our committee, we, uh, we're looking at, uh, at evidence uh, concerning matters related to this government's response. So in, uh, a key witness in that, uh, that front would uh, certainly be the WHO. So we invited uh, uh, Dr. Elward to, to, to join us, and uh, we were under the impression he was coming on Tuesday, and then uh, last minute we received a, a cancellation with, uh, with no... Uh, no offer to, to reappear. So uh, we, we took the uh, step, uh, the next uh, committee meeting, to to uh, uh, put forward a motion to request that he shows up before uh, before May 1st. And, and have you heard anything? 
Uh, the letter went out uh, today to officially invite him. I believe the day that uh, that we've we've said would make uh, the most sense if he could uh, spare an hour is on uh, the 29th of uh, of April uh, with our committee. But again, open it up to if for 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 whatever reason he has conflict with that. Uh, you, again, before May 1st is what uh, the date we set we set to, for him to to determine that. Um, the, the 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 step that that's possible to to Commons committees, which is a, a little bit inside baseball, is that if if he if he again further neglects to to, to come and show up, there's a potential that uh, committees can summons uh, uh, witnesses uh, and and force them to to appear. So we hope we don't have to go that far. We hope that uh, he'll uh, he'll take our invitation and show up uh, before May first. What are you hoping to learn though? What do, what would you hope that he would be able to tell you? I, I think it's 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 clear again that Dr. Tam took a lot of her advice, especially in the early going, uh, based on what the WHO was was recommending. And we've seen over the case of the last few months that that some of that uh, advice, uh, you know, I I don't think it was ill intended, but it wasn't necessarily the best advice uh, if you look at what happened in other countries. So you know, one of the key questions I'd love to to hear his his thoughts on are we we've seen a very successful halt to to the coronavirus in places like Taiwan, South Korea, flatten the curve very early on, uh, Singapore. A lot the what they did, they went against some of the WHO advice and shut down their borders immediately. Uh, masks uh, were immediately available. Uh, quarantining of individuals were was almost instant uh, if if they had come from high risk areas. And these were things that uh, that we were hearing early on. I believe one of the first questions we asked in Parliament was back in January, if uh, the the Minister of Health and Dr. Tam were considering this. And uh, certainly the the response we kept going, hearing back from was that well the WHO is not recommending that. So you know we want to get uh, get to why they weren't recommending that and and some of the 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 reasons uh, uh, that uh, Dr. Alward uh, in particular. Uh, wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't following that lead of some of the other countries. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about the World Health Organization right now. Lots of questions now being raised about that organization, about its response, and just in the last 24 hours or so, as I say, Associated Press reporting that 200 million dollars was spent by travel for travel by members of this, and not just because they're flying around first-class flights, lavish hotel rooms. This is, let me read something from the Global News report on this one. During the Ebola disaster in West Africa, WHO's travel costs spiked to $234 million. Although experts say on-the-ground help was critical, some question whether the agency couldn't have shaved its costs, so more funds went to West Africa. The three countries that bore the brunt of the outbreak couldn't even afford basics such as protective boots, gloves, and soap for endangered medical workers. This is not a good look, for sure. Matt Jenneru is the M- a Conservative MP for Edmonton Riverbend. He's the Shadow Minister for Health. He is with us now. Uh, Mr. Jenneru, you know, this, I, I think probably you understand, as well as everyone else, that this is going to be seen, any, re- any question about WHO is now going to be seen as a political move, as a way to score political points, as a political attack. Is it? Against the the WHO, uh, well, like, because the Liberals are supporting it and following it, so therefore, if we question it, it's a it's an attack against Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. 
Uh, yeah, I guess uh, to to an extent, uh, you know, certainly certainly want to make sure that we get uh, Dr. Alward to our committee because I think you know the things that you raise are, are fair questions that uh, someone uh, should be able to to answer for, and you know that's. Uh, I'll give him the the benefit of the doubt, I guess, uh, until he appears. Uh, but you know, right now, it's there's certainly a lot of questions, uh, especially in early on, with uh, you know, just look at at masks, the use of masks. It was for a very long time recommended by the WHO not to use masks, and then I believe it was just last week, uh, uh, Dr. Tam. Uh, had had made the, the comment. Well, well, maybe it is a good idea to to use masks when going out. So I I think there's just a lot of questioning some of the uh, the early on advice, and that's uh, certainly why we why we want uh, Dr. Albert to come before us and ask those questions. Well, and and that I think is fair. I think a lot of people are saying there seems to have been a lot of changes, of course, uh, which is a nice way of saying it. I think there's been a lot of changes in what originally we were told to do, and then what became different. And I think as I think fairly. Some people are saying, should we be blindly following this organization or should we be doing our own thing here? Yeah, I, my, my personal opinion, I, I think the WHO probably has a, a leadership role or, or something like the WHO has a leadership role in terms of coordinating uh, health uh, authorities around the world. And it has, hasn't been effective this time around, I think, is certainly what uh, what we want to get to the bottom of, uh, you know, our our, our committee wants to wants to put Canada in the best place possible going forward. You know, Canada funds funds uh, uh, does fund the WHO, and not as much as some some countries like Germany and the United States uh, and Japan, but they they do fund the WHO. So we need to make sure it's working for us and in our best interest. And again, that's what I want to make sure Dr. Alward comes to our committee and addresses. Dr. Alward was, uh, and people can go look this up online, he was the subject of a, um, a, a bit of an awkward interview with a Taiwanese reporter a number of days ago. And uh, questions about Taiwan. China doesn't recognize Taiwan, of course. And these things, there's been a lot of concern or a lot of people commenting that the WHO seems to be somewhat beholden or deferential to China in this whole thing. Do you believe that politics have driven any medical or health decisions in this whole situation? Well, I'd like the answer to the question as to why China wasn't uh, allowed to participate, even in observer status at some of the uh, the meetings. Taiwan. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, sorry, Taiwan, yeah, yeah wasn't uh, able to participate in some of those, uh, those meetings early on. I, again, Taiwan, I think it was April fourth, they only had five deaths. Uh, and, you know, really being at the epicenter of SARS uh, a number of years back, they were able to to have lessons learned and implement a significant amount of technology, uh, quarantining, uh, enhanced screen measures at the borders, I think probably would have been helpful to, to share that information with, uh, with other countries, in particular at the table with uh, WHO members. Uh, they were blocked out. Uh, you know, again, the the answers to those questions would would hopefully come from uh, Dr. Alward as to why. Um, I've seen that interview that you, that you talk about. It uh, it certainly uh, leads to more questions for sure as uh, as to to uh, the role that uh, Taiwan uh, uh, should and could be able to play. I think in the the WHO planning for this and for future pandemics. You know, there's a lot of lessons that are learned each time around, and I think the best. We should be learning from some of the countries that have been able to uh, to put in best uh, case scenarios. 
It is. Uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I absolutely hope that he does respond and does show up because uh, I, th- I think, look, it's, it's I don't necessarily see it as a political thing. There are going to be people for sure who say that you are just trying to score political points and that's fine. But I think this is a, an issue of big enough importance with enough things that have changed that I, I think some answers are, are warranted, to be honest with you. And so, look, I, I hope he does show up and I hope we do hear some some answers from this. It, at some point, we're going to, right? I mean, I- even if it's not now, when this whole thing is over, somehow we're going to get some answers to this, correct? Yeah, and it would just be really nice to get them in, in real time. you know, and, Exactly. In time where we, we have the opportunity to react to, to some of that. And that's essentially the reason why the committee was struck. And, you know, into to the, the, the political aspect of this, this is a... Uh, a committee that that includes the the NDP, the Liberals, the Bloc Québécois. Everybody supported my motion yesterday to, mm. to have him come forward. Uh, we even had a, a Liberal at the previous meeting say he was disappointed that he didn't come that day as well. So, you know, it's it, it may be uh, perceived as that, and that's fair, but uh, it's certainly not the intent. It's the intent is to get answers, and the intent is to to make sure that Canadians know what exactly this uh, the support for the WHO uh, has been over the years, because we we do fund uh, a portion of it. MP Matt Genereux from Edmonton River Bend, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this today. Of course, anytime, Scott. Take care. Uh, look, it's it's a really important thing because the World Health Organization. There are so many questions now. There have been so many changes in direction, but again, just this latest report, $200 million, $200 million for travel. How much of that money could have, if you had just flown economy and stayed in a regular old hotel room, how much more money could have gone to some of the things that we need? And not even for necessarily this one, but for other health issues around the world. I mean, malaria is an ongoing, ever-present thing. Really? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Over the past few days, you've heard this song a few times on the show because we've talked about Nick Cordero. And at six o'clock, we're a little late today, but at six o'clock every day, people all around the world now are playing this song as kind of a goodwill gesture, as an uplifting bit of optimism for the Hamilton actor who right now is in intensive care in L.A. battling coronavirus. He's not the only one, of course, but this is just one that has grabbed a lot of people's attention because he is a guy who has he has a following all around the world. And that song, that's him singing, by the way. And as I say, 6 o'clock every day, people are uh, singing and dancing and doing whatever. Uh, well, and last night we did it at 6 o'clock, so it, you've, as I say, you've probably heard this. Um, but I realized last night when we were playing that at the top of the show that there are probably some of you, maybe many of you, maybe even most of you who don't know all that much about this guy that we're talking about because we don't all go to Broadway plays, right? He's a big star on Broadway, but we don't all get down to Broadway. So it's not like he's on the, in the movies where it comes into your TV. You'd, you would have to be someone who's searching him out. So I thought, you know what, Let's um, since you're going to be hearing about him and have been hearing about him, I want to talk about him a little bit. And two people who know him very, very well are Daphne Moons, who is a singer who went to high school with him. We'll introduce her in a second. And Lou Zampronia, who is a longtime leader in the local theater community, a teacher, an instructor, a director, a performer. They join me now, both of them. How are you tonight, folks? Hey, hello there. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? Nice. Uh, hello. Is, is Daphne on there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Lou. <laughs> hello, sweetheart. How are you? Oh, it's good to hear your voice. <laughs> now, just to, you. just to confirm, Daphne, when I first heard your name, I went, wait a second, Daphne Moon from Fraser? No, no, it's Daphne. How do you no. say your last name? <laughs> Moen. Moen. See, that's yeah. what I thought. Okay, well, yeah, you know what? Yeah. In another life. Um, 
Yeah, so I want to talk about Nick a little bit because, again, I think a lot of people have been hearing a lot about him but don't know a lot about him. And and, and just before we dump, jump into this, I recognize there are a lot of other people in this community who are dealing with this. This is not the only case. He's just one person as a person that we can talk about as sort of an example of this. Uh, but Lou, before we dive right into that, let me ask you something, because uh, where I'm sitting right now in the studio, I can look out the window and I can see Westdale High School. <laughs> yeah. And Nick went there and then landed on Broadway and has been the leading man in a number of plays. I mean, not just a backup singer or background guy, like he's a, he's a star down there. And uh, Casey Levy also graduated from there and has gone down and been a star on Broadway and a leading woman and just recently in Frozen as Elsa. What's going on at Westdale? <laughs> and they had a very they had a very good drama teacher in uh, David Daler. They had a, a great uh, structural pro- program, and uh, and what he did, I kept going with, with my theater program that Daphne was involved with, and Nick was involved with, and Cassie was involved with, and we had so many people from Hamilton who uh, got into the theater because of people like David Daler and myself who had background and could teach them and instruct them and let them know exactly what they were in bargaining for. Daphne, you were there. I mean, you went to school with Nick at Westdale. You were part of this whole thing. Um, what, what's the deal? Why, why Westdale? Why did it work? Um, well, I actually, my parents moved to Dundas, and uh, I wasn't even supposed to go to Westdale, but two reasons. One, because I heard the drama program was so good, and also the French immersion. So I ended up there, and uh, I just, I, I told you the story in my email, but um, I met I met Nick on the very first day uh, of my of my first day at Westdale when I was 14 years old, and he just, like, walked right up to me with a big old smile and was like, you're new, what's your name? And... Uh, <laughs> And I didn't even know that he was, you know, into acting and all that. But it was, uh, we ended up doing so many shows together. I think just the the professionalism was was really high there, and we just had a lot of really talented people that flowed through those years. And and David Daler created a really great infrastructure for us to really thrive there. Uh, Lou, you you had him. You taught uh, theater school, and and in fact today, um, Boris Broad. I was talking to Boris Broad, whose brother is not doing well right now, has COVID, no, and heard, is in. I see you. You taught his children as well. I mean, this this whole community community is very small and very tight. But you taught Nick in theater classes when he was a young man. Was it very obvious right away that this guy was going to be a star, or did he have to grow into it a bit? No, it was. His attitude was right. He displayed a lot of talent, but along with that talent came his self-motivation, his hard-working uh, ethics. His, he was focused and ambitious. Now, there's an awful lot of people who are ambitious, and it's the wrong kind of, you know, you need to be ambitious in order to get by. But Nick was caring, generous, self-effacing, and, and modest, to boot, I mean, he, he's like a re, he was like a real gentle giant, and you taught him, and you realized that he was giving back everything. He was like a sponge. He took everything you, you were teaching him and created something and worked at it, and he, he had the talent to do this. And, and Daphne, I'm guessing based on your description of your first meeting, there was also a, a certain level of confidence there that probably helps. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the one thing is that, I don't I can't think of a single person that would have a bad thing to say about Nick just because he is so confident but in such a loving and kind way and one of the things I I remember talking to um Lou's point is that he 
we would talk about going into this business when we, even when we were like 15, 16 years old, because we both really wanted to be performers. And I had a lot of doubts about it because my parents were both doctors. So I didn't come from an artistic family. Hmm. And uh, so I had a lot of, you know, worries about it. And one of the things he said to me, like, look me straight in the eyes. He's like, this is the only thing I'm going to do. I cannot do anything else. (laughs) And I just thought that was so, that was so beautiful because it really was that that um, that ambition, but also from a place of complete love and passion for what he does. So, um, you know, he's just he's just an all around great guy. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is a uh, little something that Daphne put together. Daphne, who also works, by the way, as a singer with Elvis impersonators. Is that what we call them now, Daphne? Is that the proper terminology? No, it's Elvis tribute art. Elvis tribute, okay. Preferred. Yeah. So you you gathered a number of Elvi from around the world to do a uh, a song for because Nick also his son is named Elvis. There's a there's a big connection here with all this stuff, and uh, that went on Instagram last night, and it's it's very cool. People should go check it out. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's it is remarkable what some of the Elvis impersonators, sorry, Elvis tribute artists. Um, <laughs> Uh, how they do their craft very different impersonations and interpretations across the board yeah i wanted to really highlight all the different types of people who love elvis and uh choose to pay tribute to him um i was just saying before the break and we're talking to lou zampronia who is a well-known everybody knows who lou zampronia is in the hamilton community the hamilton theater We'll call you a Hamilton Theater legend. How's that, Lou? Okay, I think that, that covers it. Um, yeah. And Daphne Moen, who uh, went to school with Nick Cordero, who we're talking about, uh, and has now gone on to a career of her own in uh, in music and in, in on the stage. And just before the break, we were talking about confidence a little bit, Daphne. And one of my theories, and this could be a totally stupid theory, I don't know, but nonetheless, one of my theories is that there are a lot of people who have talent for certain things, but it takes uh, a certain a balance between having the confidence to sort of let yourself go and do what you do and not being so confident that you become completely intolerable. That's I, exactly right. And I think that was, <laughs> that sounds like that's where Nick was in that, in that middle of there. Well, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we have to face it. I mean, Nick knew what he wanted. And for the people that don't know Broadway and what Nick did, even in Toronto when, before he went off to Broadway, he worked his butt off to get where he is. I mean, you don't go on Broadway and star in The Toxic Avenger, and you don't star in uh, Bullets Over Broadway and get nominated for a Tony Award, and then go straight into a, a hit musical called Waitress, and then from that, leaves that so that he can star in a show called the bronx tale yeah, produced by robert de niro by the way yes exactly yeah. i mean this this young man talented young man knew what he wanted but every time that i went down to new york to see him in a show it was like he's so modest i mean he would he would treat me like i was more important than him unbelievable it, it just it just it's such a nice nice man that you, it was hard. It's hard to well listen. It's hard to believe that where he is right in the position that he is right now. Daphne, you said uh, just before the break as well that he had said I can't remember your exact words, but this is all I'm going to do. I am going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Now we see athletes, for example, all the time who, in their youth, are way ahead of their peers, and you say, oh, that guy's going to go pro or she's going to be a star, and it doesn't pan out. So was it a even though he said this, 
Was it a complete shock to you when you saw that he had landed a role on Broadway the first time? Not at all. I, I don't know about Lou, but like it, it didn't surprise me in the least. He, no, 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 no. It didn't surprise time. me at all because I knew that that's what he wanted to do, and he had the drive and the ambition. And he's a nice guy. People like him, and they want to work with him. He's a team player, and therefore that he he satisfies all the criteria. Yeah, Daphne, no, it, I mean, it does sound like this was, he was one of those guys that just figured it out early. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I think to, to Lou's point as well, like, you know, people want to work with a nice person. And when you have somebody who's, who's humble and who comes to the work honestly, and, you know, you know, I saw, I would see him on, on the Law and Order SCU and I would send him a text and be like, Oh my gosh, like, I, I love seeing you on my TV. And he's like, Oh man, I should have kept that jacket. You know, like, <laughs> he's just, he's just so, you know, he doesn't make a big deal out of anything. And I think that that is so rare when it's matched with, with somebody with that much ability and that much drive. Um, so it's, it's like the perfect storm for, for somebody to be successful. So it's no, su- so it's no surprise to you then when you go online and you see the, I mean, it's literally hundreds of, hundreds and hundreds of people all around the world who are posting Instagram videos and and things singing and dancing to his song every day that's no surprise to you by the sounds of it no and and his wife uh, amanda klutz is uh she has an instagram following she's a fitness trainer and uh so if you want to check her out anybody who's listening it's at amanda klutz it's k-l-o-o-t-s and what she so she has this community and and again like you know it's not a surprise that he ended up with somebody like her because she's so positive and she's so energetic and you know she's she's in this impossibly difficult situation where she can't be with Nick because of, you know, it's not safe for her and her son. So she's, but she's, she's rallying the troops. So she's got this huge Instagram following of people who just love and care for her, love and care for Nick. And they're all just spreading all this joy and love uh, to the world. And I think especially right now, you know, a lot of us are, are frustrated and scared. And so, you know, we sit at home and we want to do something. So even if it's just dancing at six o'clock, you know, to Nick's song or to uh, an Elvis song, it, it, it feels like our contribution. We got to run, unfortunately. Are both of you dancing at six every day or singing or doing something? Absolutely. Well, I'm singing, but I have to do it on my... <laughs> Don't laugh, Daphne. <laughs> you see? <laughs> we're, we're, I'm singing on my own because nobody could bear it. Oh, no. I doubt that highly, Lou. I don't think there's anything you're not talented at doing when it comes to the theater oh, or the I, stage. I, but. I love you, and I appreciate you saying that, but oh, boy. Uh, it is uh, Lou Zampronia and Daphne Moon, and, of course, we're talking about Nick Cordero. Go on Amanda Klutz, K-L-O-O-T-S. Again, as Daphne mentioned, go on her Instagram, go on her Facebook, go on wherever. You'll see what we're talking about. Um, Say a prayer. Say a prayer, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, guys, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes. Thanks a lot, Scott. Scott, really nice talking to you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good friend Bubba O'Neill from CHCH who just got off the air after delivering a sportscast light on sports. (laughs) As we all are these days. I got to tell you, you and the other people who are working in sports like all of us, uh, I'm impressed that you keep finding things to do because there are stories out there. You just got to dig around for them. Yeah, look around for them, but today was a little easier than I thought with the PGA making yep. it official with yep. about their schedule and, of course, uh, uh, news that the new schedule, which is the, to start in mid-June, will not include 
the Canadian Open, uh, which you know we had so ceremoniously with Rory McIlroy winning at the Hamilton Golf and Country Club, looking so good. Thank and goodness Ham- we got that in last year, right? Sorry? Thank goodness we got that in last year and Hamilton wasn't on deck for this year. Absolutely, though I believe the tournament is coming back in, it is. in Hamilton in 2023, I believe. Uh, yeah, three years, yep. Yeah, uh, no, 2022, I think it was. I thought it was a three-year absence. 22, 23, something in there. Well, it'll be interesting to see what golf, what, what, what the RCGA does if they will push back next year's event, like if they'll move everything back one year to give St. George's and Toronto their actual opportunity. That was, I think, I don't know if that's been released exactly what their plans are. But, um, I don't think they have plans yet. I mean, who does? I mean, everything is everything is on the fly. I mean, it's. Uh, I tell you, I don't even have plans. You know what I watched today on TV, sports wise? <laughs> I watched a few minutes of cornhole. Ooh. Do you know what cornhole is? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really curious. Cornhole is. Uh, it's kind of like curling, but with bean bags, and you. You throw the little bean bag and you try to get it into the hole that's on an angled piece of wood that you try, you know, it's... That was on television? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On ESPN. It was a pickup from ESPN. And I got to tell you, the guys who play cornhole are exactly what you would expect for guys playing cornhole. Oh, uh, yeah. I can, I can envision. I can envision. The only thing that was missing was the guy sitting on the swinging chair in the background playing a banjo. Da-da-ding, ding, 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 <laughs> ding. <laughs> it was, it's, uh, but these guys are serious. They got the, the, like, they look like bass fishermen with their shirts with all the advertising. There are people who advertise on the shirts of cornholers. Well, you know, again, there's stuff out there. Like you said, <laughs> if you want to find it, it's out there. I mean, I, I haven't seen that, but I mean, there is stuff going on and, uh, you know, people are doing things in the virtual world and, and, and then, and then something that's totally harmless turns into something really yes. controversial in the virtual world. Yes, and, if people don't know this story, there was a race car driver, because they were doing virtual races, who somehow thought his microphone was off on his headset. Uh, not so much. And uh, used a very bad word that um, occasionally pops up in rap songs, but uh, probably shouldn't appear anywhere else. And he said it on live on the air and... Uh, my goodness, talk about a, uh, a little fun diversion going horribly sour for him. He lost yeah. all of his sponsors and he lost his ride. And, you know, and look, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not in any way suggesting that that shouldn't have happened. I mean, there are certain things, Bubba, that you just, you, you know that under no circumstances can you say certain things. And there's probably, I don't know, are there three words these days that have that kind of absolute no-go? I mean, it's certainly at the top of the list. Well, I think that, that, that you know, and it's funny, you did say it, 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 it was, you know, it's been normally said in, in a million rap songs, but I think I think the difference here, and I, Marcus Stroman, who went on a little personal rant on Twitter, even challenging him to a fight in UFC, yeah. <laughs> it, it did issue one thing, I mean, amongst the nonsense that he, that he tweeted about, there was one line that I agreed with, there was a casualness to the way he used the N-word, which was somewhat frightening to me, and I think to a lot of people. And remember, as you said, this was a guy been on the uh, cup circuit for seven years, one of the up-and-comers, uh, was a free, set to becoming a free agent, was definitely going to be in the seven figures in terms of how much money he was going to make. He has big, big sponsors, McDonald's being one of the biggest one. 
And, you know, one careless moment, um, I mean, I don't know his personal life and really who cares, but like you said, when you're, when you're representing a company and Chip Ganassi Racing, which is one of the biggest, and not only just NASCAR, but, you know, IndyCar Racing as well, too, it put the it put that race team in a very very precarious situation. Well, it it did, and, and here's why I don't have a lot of sympathy for the guy, and, and partially because of what you just said. It was apparently I didn't hear it, but apparently it was said very casually. But the, the other part, and it ties into the casualness of this, Bubba, is that honestly, like as I say, there are probably three words or four words that we we all know that we have removed from our lexicon. We just like I, I honestly. Maybe I used that word once or twice when I was a kid, when it was not nearly as loaded, it seemed, but it's right. been, it's been 40 years minimum since that word, because you just, that's not a word that you would use. And so, you know, you don't ever say that word, even if you're just at home with your kids and you think no one's listening to do it with a microphone on your head yeah. as a public figure, like it takes stupid and accelerates it into like the exponential levels of absolute stupid. You don't deserve to drive a car if you're that dumb. Well, and again, and drive the car, but representing these major companies too. That's that's the thing you got to think about NASCAR. And and if I can extend this to, it's funny you talk about cornhole, and I'll I'll see where I'm going with this. There is a and and stop me if I'm wrong here, but there is sort of a a cloud that NASCAR is kind of trying to get away from. Yes, yes. Because a lot of the races are run in the South. There's a bit of a stigma about, you know, um, I don't even know what the proper word to use is. Well, it's know, a good old boy sport, or at least it seemed that way. Billies, you know, uh, you know, hey, you know, places where they used to burn the cross, if I may say that. And I'm not saying all drivers are like that. I'm not saying all the fans are like that. But there is a stigma that that's the kind of people and 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 to be honest too there's there's no black racers at the cup level i believe there is one at the truck level and i already think they believe there is a part-time driver but there is not a full-time um african-american driving a car on, on nascar and you're talking about a, a a league or a circuit that has that feels pretty much 43 cars so 43 different drivers every single week Here's the thing, and yes, and all those points are very valid. If I said to you, here is a list of three words in your life that you cannot say, just make the make a note, you can never say these, and you know what, as long as you never say these three words, probably you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to just not say those words? I, like I just, you're, this you're is right, the, I just don't, and, and even if you have those sentiments, and I would hope yeah. that he doesn't, and I would hope that nobody has those sentiments, but even if you somehow do, you still can't say, just don't say it. And, 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 but Scott, but Scott, if it's part of your regular, vernacular, I know, no, I absolutely, that's, that's what I mean. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So right. that this thing, I look at this and I go, that's why I don't feel sorry for the guy because he's either using it regularly, in which case I don't feel sorry for him. Or he used it in a way that you, well, he used it, period, and you know you can't use that word, which means, as I say, you're too dumb to be given the reins to a race car or to some millions and millions and millions of dollars. I, there, there's just, to me, there's no, ex, there's no excuse, there's no explanation. The only, and I've said this before, and we're going to move on from this, the only explanation to me or excuse that could ever come up for using this word is if somehow you 
your tongue got tangled while you were trying to say something else <laughs> seriously and it became yeah. and it came out as a right as a misbe and then you can say listen i i clearly i didn't mean to say that even though and how often is that going to happen once in your life if that i mean just, come on just just one quick thing because you yeah. know what when i said this on the news the other day i actually thought about it after when i walked off the set if it mattered or not because i did i did mention it to to our listeners and viewers is that that the uh, larson is a half american half japanese individual and, and personally, when I read that about him, it surprised me even more. I don't know if that matters or not, but it it, it just caught me off guard. It, it, I don't know. I, it's just everybody, everybody, everybody knows. You don't say it. Yeah. It's not difficult. It's not. I mean, as I say, hopefully, no one even harbors those thoughts in them. But even if you do, you know, you don't say it. Too bad, so sad. You know, I, and listen, and I, I don't even necessarily want to say he should never be able to work again. I believe everybody gets a second chance. I do. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but I'm not necessarily at the point where I'm going to say, oh, well, you know what? You still go ahead and get your 10-figure contract and carry on as if nothing ever happened. You know right. what? Because it's not just about him. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, what's the lesson if everybody just yawns and turns away and says, yeah, go ahead. We don't care. I mean, there, there's, anyway, it's a bigger story. Um, speaking of, and I, I mean, Bubba, this story, this, this hurts me to talk about this story, and I'm being quite serious, because it's about stupidity, it seems, to some degree. The report came out, and I was reading in the New York Times today, the report about the death of Roy Halladay, former Blue Jays ace, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And according to the New York Times, the 13-page report about Roy Halladay's plane crash says that when he crashed, he had 10 times the accepted level of amphetamine. He had antidepressants, morphine, a muscle relaxant, and a sleep aid in his system and was doing crazy stunts that included flying just five feet off the water and then doing like rises and spins and turns and dives. And like, I, I, Roy Halliday is one of those guys that when he was playing, he was the most upstanding responsible, disciplined. I mean, his the story of his discipline and his workouts was legendary. When you hear this stuff, does this affect your, how you feel about him or his legacy or your, your whatever? Do you think this changes things for people? Well, and, and as I told you, and I know when we discussed this when he actually died, that it, it did have an effect on me, his passing, because I, I, I would consider myself one of the few individuals that, Actually, I actually had a personal conversation with him all by myself as we walked from one side of the Sky Dome in the bowels of the Sky Dome. And I know you've been there, and many people that just go to the games that aren't part of the media don't don't get to see that part. And we talked about some, and so I, I felt like I had this one moment with Roy Halliday that many people don't. And for a guy that was so closed, he opened up to me about some things which I thought were, was really interesting. So, yeah, so, but what that did for me, Scott, is very much what Brandy Halliday, his widow, said today, that he's a human being and he makes mistakes. Yep. And that's why when I read this report and I broadcasted it on last night's 11 o'clock news, and I know that there was a, someone tweeted to me basically saying, why did you need to do that? Let him rest in peace. 
And other than giving you the news, because, you know, the, the, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board, that this is, you know, they're re- giving the details, because we never really knew. We assumed a lot of things, but we're learning exactly what happened here. I didn't feel like, oh, my God, Roy, you know, you bad boy, you know, because I tell you, when I was a kid, and still to this day, there are things I have done <laughs> when I think about it that, sure. that, that are that are that are that I think would really humanize me, and maybe not the guy that you hear on the radio or you see on television. You know that maybe I wouldn't be too proud about. Well, and, we've and, all done and, things that could have killed us, right? I mean, honestly, we could have. Well, I, I don't know. I've hopped in a car and, and, and driven more than the speed limit, yeah. right? Like, and that that could kill me. Um, I've driven a motorbike without a helmet on, right? And and these are all things I'm not proud about or whatever, but I mean these these things happen, right? And Roy Halliday and and I think we we've talked about this before is that when sports athletes retire sometimes sometimes they need different things to do to regain that high, mm. regain that emotion, regain that thriller, that thrill. And, may, and and for a guy that, you know, because I believe his father was a pilot and that he obviously was a pilot, th- these were things that turned the guy on, I guess. Now, you know, the drug levels, and uh, we mean, I have no explanation for that, but obviously he was a guy that was probably in a lot of pain. We hear that a lot about former athletes. Yeah, it's, so it's pretty hard. Too surprised. It's pretty hard to uh, uh, understand what the adrenaline and the feeling of walking out onto a field with fifty thousand people screaming for you would be like. Because I've not had that experience. You've not had that experience. So when you retire, I imagine for some guys, trying to find that feeling again is a kind of a desperate, difficult chase to do. Um, you, you know what this this struck me though? It reminded me of a story from years ago, Bubba, and that is. It's the idea that if what I'm going to do right now was the last thing that I ever did, would this be how I would want people to know that I went out? And the story was years ago, there was a, I remember talking to someone, uh, there was a shooting at a strip club. I think it was in Burlington. Anyway, there was a photo, somebody in the strip club got shot. And it was either in the paper or on TV, there was images of some guy being wheeled out on a stretcher. And the guy I was talking to said, you know, if I'm going to go out, the last thing I want my family to see is not the fact that he got shot in a strip club. <laughs> yeah. and, and But it made a point to me, and that was, you know what? Yeah, you got to think about stuff, because if this is how you end up dying, this is how people are going to, people are going to hear about this, and this is how they're going to think of you. And Roy Halliday, I mean, I don't think worse of him, but man, at, at the same time, you look at this, you go, what were you doing? What were you doing? And it's hard to explain. Again, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think that's so easy for us to say right now as an outsider, Scott. Um, and I think in many situations where things have gone terribly wrong, and in some case, count the lives of others, um, and you could say, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Um, on a macro, I'll say, the, you know, the, the, the truck driver that was the unfortunate driver who caused that accident humbled and humbled right like i mean what were you thinking right but at that second at that time uh, you know we we all do things sometimes that you know that don't make a lot of sense 
And for Roy, you're right. Like, I mean, what are you doing in a, in a helicopter? And, you know, I mean, the, 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 the drugs that were in his system could have easily um, affected his judgment you and, know, while, while he's flying. And we said this at the time with the Humboldt driver, for example. How many other truck drivers over the years blew through that same intersection because they yep. didn't see a stop sign or something, and there didn't happen to be a bus full of hockey players? Sure crossing at that moment and you know what they looked and they went oh missed that stop sign and they yeah. went on and their day and nothing changed and nothing changed and, and you know and again for those that have never been there i actually have been to the, like i mean you're talking rural saskatchewan yes <laughs> right where you know there have been times when even i've taken you know my little summer drives with my convertible and, and on roads you know well north and and west of here where no one's around and i might have done that Yep, and and this guy that the chances that it would line up that this would happen, and now he is the world's most evil person, right? And all those other drivers who didn't have the bad luck of not having a bus there are just truck drivers. We don't even know who they are. No, and and, and not making excuses for him. No, no, no. Yeah. But but for Roy Halliday, I yeah. mean, look how, how many other guys have flown their planes either with something in their system or done something stupid or been taking unnecessary risks or all those things. And How many times has Roy probably done that in that same situation? Same thing. In but, that same condition. But you know what? And we got to go, unfortunately. But you know what? The unfortunate part about this story is that this is going to be part of his epitaph. I mean, unfortunately, this is going to be one of those things that, that you know, Roy Halliday, because th- the thing I look at this now, it's a very sad story, and I still think of him as a wonderful pitcher and all the rest, but I now, I now kind of think of this like, man, what a waste. That that's that's the unfortunate part about this. It's like, man, you should still be alive. What a waste! Yep, forty-year-old husband and father to two. Yeah, it's 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 really sad. And again, we we you know, and I'm sure Brandy Holiday is as classy as they come, you know. But putting aside all of those other things that we've discussed, uh, Scott, maybe there were some mental health issues that we didn't know about Roy Holiday. Yeah, or the, as I say, you 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 are you have been chasing that thrill, even though he didn't seem like the kind of guy that that was all that important to him. You, you never know. And fifty thousand people screaming your name and having that kind of pressure and that kind of immediate gratification of success in that moment. I mean, that's that I imagine would be a real hard thing to try and recapture. He wouldn't be the first one to no. fall victim to that. Not at all. Hey, listen, uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you can catch Bubba. You're on tonight? Yeah. 11 o'clock tonight or 11.20 or 11 whatever. Sometime between 11 and 11.30 you will see him on CHCH. Thanks for taking the time. Always a pleasure. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.